Hello and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. This podcast is for people who want to understand what it really takes to make a positive impact in public services. It features leaders from councils, the NHS, central government, charities and social enterprises, as well as think tanks and social investors. This is about policy and the implementation of policy and the grit and determination it takes to run successful public services. It's not about politics. Politics does not feature at all and the discussions are all the better for it. It's also about the stories and personal journeys of the leaders I speak to, the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. Running and reforming public services is incredibly difficult, and I'm very grateful to these inspiring leaders for taking the time to share with others. So before we get into it, I just want to take a second to thank my friends and colleagues at Mutual Ventures for supporting me to do this podcast. My day job at Mutual Ventures is about supporting public services to be better, more sustainable and more connected to communities. This means working with central government departments to help them build bridges between policy development and local implementation. It means working with councils to help them plan for the future. And it also means working with NHS trusts to help them find their place in the new health and care system. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you get as much from it as I have. And don't forget to subscribe on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to make sure that you never miss a future episode. And you might even want to go back and listen to some of the older ones. This episode is a bit different. I went to the Stronger Things conference this week. So this is the new local annual conference. And it was at the Guildhall in the city of London. So Ian Thomas, the chief exec there was hosting, but it was an amazing day. And I was lucky enough to get to talk to quite a lot of the speakers. And I agreed with New Local that I would record some of the interviews and put them together into a Radical Reformers podcast episode. So that's what I've done. And I have to say, I'm really pleased with the result. The recording's pretty good. It was a new thing for me. I didn't really know how it would work, but you get a really great sense from the following 10 mini interviews just exactly what sort of day it was and there's a great array of interviewees so I start with Jess Studdard who's the Deputy Chief Executive New Local, Emmy Core, who's the Director of Civic Square, Emily Morrison who's the Head of the Institute for Community Studies, Kate Josephs the Chief Executive of Sheffield Council, Sophia Parker from the Joseph Rowntree Foundation, Seb Payne who Many of you might know from his time at the FT and that brilliant podcast, but he's now the director of Onward, the think tank. Barry Quirk, the legendary council chief exec. I have a great chat with him. I speak to Nick Temple from the social investment business, Sarah Longlands from the Centre for Local Economic Strategies, and John Alexander from the New Citizenship Project. It was really good fun, I have to say. And the real treat of this is that at the end of this series of interviews, um, I spend a bit of time with Professor Donna Hall, who is the chair of New Local, but will be leaving there soon. So I really wanted to get her thoughts on the day. She started things off with a real rallying call, which you will hear uh, talked about many times in these interviews. But I wanted to give her a chance to reflect on the day and also on her five years as the chair of New Local, where she has been a real leader and talisman, really, for local community services and community empowerment. 
So the first thing you'll hear is me outside of the conference, getting quite excited, talking a little bit about what I'm expecting, and then it's straight into the interviews. And stick with it, you'll really want to hear the conversation I have with Donna at the end. Okay, so it's a beautiful London morning here. I'm just heading into the Guildhall in the city of London for the New Local Stronger Things conference. The New Local team have really kindly asked me to record a podcast here. So I've never done this before, so I'm going to wander around and see who I can get a few words with. But it's an amazing lineup. It's the first time I've done this, so let's see how it goes. So I better get in there. So I'm here with Jess Studdard at the start of the day at the Stronger Things New Local Conference. There's so many people here, Jess. What are you hoping to get out of today? Well, today is going to be the biggest gathering yet for Stronger Things, our fourth year in a row. Um, we have got up to 2,000 people in total wow. online and in real life. I mean, at least half of them are here, I think. I know. It's really buzzy. And what we're, what we're building is just an incredible movement of people from local government, um, from all different, all different roles within local government, um, from the community sector, from social enterprises, people who work day in, day out with communities, um, and increasingly lots of people working in the health world as well which is great to see it does um, feel like that actually it's one of the, the initial plenary session obviously you have people like donna hall there who's quite closely involved in the nhs as well as councils it does feel like it's it's councils it's nhs it's third sector i mean people are even talking about private sector involvement as yeah. well which is great yeah i think the linking factor between everyone really is that they see that institutions alone have limited ability to really change things for people and actually it's only by working together but not just between institutions directly with people in new ways um, that we're ever going to really resolve some of the really big challenges like rising demand on public services um, but people's sense of kind of loneliness or isolation and then some of the big challenges like um, climate change that can only be resolved by everybody taking on different behaviours and action together. So yeah. there's a real kind of, there's a real principle that's actually drawing everyone together, which is that there is a different way of working. And I think in these times, a bit of hope and optimism doesn't Fantastic. go amiss. No, Jess, it's great to talk to you again. You've obviously been on the podcast before, but it's brilliant to talk to you again. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so I'm here with Barry Quirk, local government legend. Yeah. Barry, it's brilliant to see you, and um, I know that you're you're not an active chief executive at the minute, but just I, I was watching you just walking around. You're clearly still buzzing with ideas and enthusiasm for the local government sector. So, how are you finding today? Ah, oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's not just the local government sector; it's localism and locality and community, yeah. um, and the whole thing about uh, using power with people, not yeah. to people, yeah. and giving power away that's yeah. really important very very important it really is and there's a lot of good sessions today and already we've heard from people do you get the sense that there's a that there's a, a movement gathering here i think don hall called it a rebel alliance earlier that people just are a bit fed up with the way things are and are wanting to change or do you think people are listening um i think certainly people are listening and i certainly feel that the numbers here um are it's a just big so event impressive. it's a big event I, uh, as you may know, did a community asset review for Labour government in 2007-8. And uh, it was always going around with people like Power for Change, community enterprises and local actors trying to encourage this sort of venture. And there would be 40, 50 people. There are hundreds that are here. So you know that the momentum is growing. 
and the momentum is growing across the country. Yeah. And we're seeing not just um, examples of what authorities are doing, but actually, you know, ground level examples of what people are doing. And uh, I think that's that's the that's the power. Uh, in terms of those examples, what would you really like to see happen for there I, to be real change? I would I would like to see um, people defining what they want at the locality level yeah. and local authorities just enabling that, but politicians enabling what it is that people... Of course, there's always problems, as Tony Travers said here today, there's always problems about resources, scarcity, rationing, and all this sort of thing. But actually, at the local level, if you understand it through the soles of your feet, as someone said, by going around and knowing the communities that are there, if you do that, you realise that actually they can... Make a lot, bring a lot of value for themselves, yeah. rather than requiring the council to do this. Yeah. That's my brilliant, Barry. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Okay, so I'm here with Emily Morrison from the Institute for Community Studies. Um, how are you finding the day so far? I think it's brilliant. Um, you could really tell on the first panel um, this yeah. morning that people wanted to participate. They had a lot of trouble keeping the audience in their seats, yeah. keeping the audience quiet. I think there's a real urge to not just sit here and learn and listen, but also to get involved actively. I, I, I think um, for me, the person who really captured the mood was when Donna Hall talked about the Rebel Alliance. That seemed to just really express what people were feeling at the minute. Yes, and I think what's really interesting about how um, Stronger Things has has grown this year is that the Rebel Alliance is growing across sectors. I mean, what we're seeing is more and more people across local government, but also the private sector and the social investment sector, which we work with um, as part of the wider work at the Young Foundation, which is the the parent charity that powers the Institute. So we're seeing more and more people wanting to be on the rebel side of the coin, which is exciting. Yeah, so on the Rebel Alliance then, what what contribution are you making to the, the struggle in the Institute for Community Studies? So um, the Institute for Community Studies is focused on people-powered evidence about what works. Mm. So I suppose our role is really helping those that are making decisions about funding, about models of community power, but also about that kind of wider public sector, private sector investment in place. We're Mm. there to you know, do the lessons learned piece, give them robust evidence about what works. Um, The wider Young Foundation is about understanding, involving and innovating. So that's really about how do you then take what you've learned about what works and then put a radical rocket underneath it, put new investment models, you know, think about how local communities can play different roles, maybe more expansive roles in that. Um, So we run, you know, what I suppose you would have traditionally called um, you know, community development programs, but we also run um, social investment programs. You know, we've been growing um, funds to help, you know, sort of inclusive education. Yeah. Um, we've also been working to build a much greater culture around innovation in place, um, working on the S of ESG. What does that mean as yeah. well? Yeah. Um, so I think that the point about all of this is really it's about how do people participate meaningfully yeah. Yeah. in society and that doesn't have to look the same yeah but it needs to be present in everything we do there's there's a lot of really good intent here i'm wondering if you could just give listeners an example a few examples of some really exciting things that you've seen in action um, out in the field or yeah. here today out in the field out in the field um i think some of the really exciting things that we've seen so some of the work that's happening um around the north of time devolution deal i think the opportunity there is immensely exciting particularly mm. around net zero I think what we're seeing is people really wanting to have an inclusive transition that actually has 
a real sense of not leaving people behind, but also yeah. maximizes how community assets are one of the ways that we can help people transition to net zero. Yeah. So I think that's hugely exciting. And um, I think as well, um, the Luton Task Force, which is yeah. a task force focusing on how can you eradicate poverty and ensure equality within Luton. Um, that's something we're involved in working with Luton Borough Council. And that task force, does that involve... I imagine that involves a number of local actors and local organisations. Yes, yeah, so it's a, it's called the Fairness Task Force and it's a, a mixture of residents, local voluntary sector and community organisations, the local authority and other anchor institutions. And it's about um, a citizen kind of task force yeah. making decisions about what a fairer, you know, sort of anti-poverty outcome would be for Luton. And do you think uh, the experience of the last couple of years, the pandemic has really encouraged local organizations residents communities to come together and work together more or is that going to maintain or are we going to see things drift back to business as usual i think the risk is resourcing i think the scarcity environment that i think we're in even more than we were during austerity is the risk to that but i don't think we're going to slip back to pre-pandemic good i'm really glad to hear it really glad to hear it no there's just we have to believe don't we yes we have have to to. and i think there's so much horizontal working happening now it's arguably at very different levels from hyperlocal up to national but even at the you know sort of regional level we're just seeing such a diversity in terms of types of actors entering the frame you know you've got technology companies you've got um, social enterprises community businesses you've got all of these different um, cooperatives um, and alliances now that could indicate fragmentation but actually Mm. it's got a real energy and people are talking to each other and they are respecting each other and I think that's the key to all of this working. Brilliant. Emily, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. So I'm here with Emmy Kaur from Pacific Square. And I've just listened to your session. We were talking about a new model for a new economic settlement, essentially. Can you just say, for people who weren't there and didn't hear, can you just describe what you mean by that, please? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. So I guess really clearly I'm situating it within this idea that we all kind of feel even if we don't know it in theory which is we're living through multiple crises at the moment yeah. you feel that in your it's lives like polypermacrisis. yeah polypermacrisis <laughs> you feel it through if you don't necessarily resonate with economic crisis or energy crisis you'll feel it through the cost of your food bill or yeah. your energy um uh prices you know that the impact of human activity on the planet is creating severe challenges yeah. and we know that things are starting to buckle. We, like I said in the session, uh, in the Global North have almost had a warning. We have like a, hey, you need to build, um, you need to rethink, you need to remodel. And so for me, I think this idea of new economic thinking is that the 21st century requires, and the 22nd century requires new ideas. It requires us to think beyond um, the planet as just a, a kind of, externality um that we are pursuing gdp at any cost the ideas that were fit for another time are fit for now we know that we're going to have to reimagine the way we live we work we travel we play Um, we know there isn't just endless um growth and endless um activity on the planet and so what we're talking about really is about 
um, what it means to reimagine that in yeah. a way that is both healthy for humans, healthy for the planet, and starts to pull us back from some of the boundaries, planetary boundaries we've exceeded, the challenges we've created, and start to build a new type of social and ecological um, relationship for, for people. Uh, and I thought, listening to you, I thought you're the way you described it as the old economic settlement where there's growth, yeah. but your neighbour still can't afford food. Yeah. You know, how is that an okay settlement for as we live today? So mm-hmm. just to, just to bring it to life, are there a couple of quick examples of of practically what people can do or what what you're doing to try and yes. make some of these changes? So there's neighbourhoods all over the the country, and um, we've been work who are doing like really imaginative thinking about what this could look like. The important thing I'd say in practically is to know that we've got to discover and remake some of this. So an economic system that took 400 years and the last 80 to really cement itself in is not suddenly going to change the first time you have a conversation with someone about new ideas. It is going to be practiced first. Communities all over the country we can make in Bristol, Hastings Common in Hastings, the Kindred Collective in Liverpool. People are reimagining possibility all over the place. So I would say in our work, check out our Reimagining Economic Possibilities essay. Go and find essays collection. Go find where imaginative work and thinking is happening in your place. And we work with a community called the Don't Economics Action Lab. Go onto their website and look at who's organizing and go and get your hands on. Don't worry about the idea economics. The economics, economics means eco, nomos, how we manage our household, right? It's how we manage what we have, the resources we have and where they go. And so... It is not something that people should be scared of, but instead actually bring their deep lived experience, their imagination, their common sense. They're like, doesn't really make sense, does it, that we say that GDP is growing, but I can't pay my bills and I can't feed my children. Bring your whole selves to that um, and go and check out where interesting work is happening on your uh, high street, on your in your local neighborhood and get involved. Brilliant advice, Emmy. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Great. I'm here with John Alexander, the co-founder of the New Citizenship Project. We just come from the first, the first uh, session where we talked about what does it take to transform a system. Where we heard from the likes of Donna Hall and Tony Travers. What did you take away from that? I mean, my 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 real favourite part of that was the contributions from Helen Golden, the CEO of the Young Foundation. I think Helen's insight into how systems actually change yeah. is so powerful. She's some of the things she was talking about, like the the idea that actually what you need is a is, is the emergence of a kind of ecology. So she was talking about startup culture and how that started with sort of the language of incubators and accelerators and mentors and how that is starting to happen. The equivalent is starting to yeah. happen with community power. And it's so exciting just to be among so many people in this space. It is uh, It is really, it's, it's a fantastic grouping. I, it's been such a long time since I've been in a room with so many people. I know, I right? No, look, and I, I really love the, the way Adam Lent framed it at the beginning of the day as well. This, this thing of like, how do we actually do this? Yeah. Because we've been talking about these ideas. My organization, New Citizenship Project, as we talk about a shift from subject to consumer to citizen, very similar set of ideas to New Local talking about from state paradigm to market paradigm to community paradigm. We, we've sort of had these frameworks. We kind of know what it is we're yeah. trying to do, but it's, it's brutally hard to actually make that shift happen. I, I think, though, that there's something about this year and this environment, this conversation, where it does feel like this is a moment kind of really pregnant with possibility. Yeah. It's so fascinating to be here with so many people and yeah. so much like 
energy and integrity and contrast that to a certain which shall rename nameless conference that happened last week that had lots yes. of the national media staring at it yeah, yeah, yeah. and this won't get any yeah but this is happening yeah and and the interesting thing i i um one of the weirder experience things of my life in the last year is i've become quite good friends with a man called brian eno who some will have heard of yeah uh, and brian wrote actually wrote the foreword for, for the book i wrote and, and, and brian's thing he said he has this lovely thing he says the revolutions come in two stages the first stage is when everyone realizes the system's broken yeah and then the second is when everyone realizes that everyone else realizes it too yeah uh, and then yeah. people start to come together and i think that is i think that might be where we are i think this is for all that we are living in a time of like quite difficult very difficult yeah. circumstances something is building and is really ready i think um what's the theme of your book what's it called and where can you get it <laughs> it's called citizens why the key to fixing everything is all of us uh, it's very ambitious but it's <laughs> it's really about it's about this it's about this notion so i talk about the idea that what's happening in this moment in time is that what i call the consumer story the kind of the structuring story that has shaped our institutions and shaped our society for the last 80 years or so is in collapse but it is the story that is in collapse not humanity mm. and as that happens there is also this what i call this i call it the citizen story the, the idea that actually people can and want to get involved and shape the world for the better yeah. if we can recreate and reinvent our systems to enable that to happen and we are doing it everywhere across the world and in every sector everything from taiwan to grimsby yeah. is 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 in the sweep of that and yeah. uh, and it's just a really exciting hopeful moment and so the panel that you're on the other you're talking about um, citizenship from representation to participation. Right. What are some of the key elements of that? Well, so I think the, the what I was asked to do by the by the new local folks was was bring together a conversation about how formal democracy, how sort of national democracy actually yeah. is shifting. Uh, and so what we've got is a conversation with Claudia Schwalis, who's the founder of an organisation called Democracy Next, which is really championing and leading on the on the idea of a shift uh, from electoral democracy towards more participatory, particularly sortition-based and citizens' yeah. assembly-based democracy. Uh, and I've put her together with um, a wonderful woman called Omazine Khalifa, who was uh, yes. uh, a politician in Tunisia yeah. in the first wave of the Arab Spring, and now works for the Apolitical Foundation, trying to bring new and different people into the role of politicians. Yeah. Uh, and, and equip politicians and train politicians differently. And I think between them, we should have a really interesting conversation about how is democracy, that big thing that we think of as happening elsewhere, yeah. happening differently? And how yeah. is it evolving? Because that is, that is a big part of this. That is the thing, in my mind, that will, that will kind of open the door for, the, for this movement if we, can, if we can reinvent those systems too. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. John, thank you for your time. Lovely to meet you. Enjoy your day. Okay, so I'm here with Nick Temple from the Social Investment Business. Nick, great to see you again. You've been on the podcast before, but we're here at the Stronger Things conference. What are you hoping to hear about and learn today? Honestly, it's just a chance to get out of the day-to-day, -day, reflect on a few things, get some different insights and perspectives. And I like this conference because it brings together different worlds yeah. a bit. So sometimes we can be a bit rooted in the charity and social enterprise world and to yeah. to hear what's happening at local authority level, to hear what intermediaries you're thinking about, and to reflect, I suppose, on the broader context of communities in place. So for us, learning, listening, and hopefully 
like like this as well, connecting with people and meeting them as well. Absolutely, you know, it's a great uh, it's a great opportunity to meet with people that I maybe haven't seen in person for such a long time. So, in the plenary session that we just had, there was a real it felt like there was a real call to action that it now is the time for all of the different actors you mentioned. You know, there's public sector, charity sector, but then also social investment, which wasn't particularly mentioned there. But what sort of role can social investment play in this? in this mission, in this rebel alliance, as Donna Hall called it. Yeah, I think, like you say, it's about mobilising all the resources we have, right, which is partly the people and systems and infrastructure and track record and experience and assets, but it's also it's also the finance and, um, you know, whether that's money that can take more risk than a local authority might be able to, whether it's money that can be more patient sometimes or more flexible, um, but also that's kind of come from the social sector. So it's kind of, again, understands the community it's trying to serve and, and works for and with those organisations rather than sometimes feeling like it's against it. Brilliant. Nick, enjoy your day. And you. So I'm here with Sarah Longlands, the Chief Exec for the Centre for uh, Local Economic Strategies. It's great to see you. Great to be here, Andrew, yeah. And what are you what are you hoping to get from today? What are you hoping to hear about? Yeah, just ho- hoping to be able to kind of soak up the atmosphere, meet lots of people in person and, and hear about all the new ideas that are that are floating around the room today and, and sort of take inspiration from those. And, and also, I think, um, uh, inject some of my own thoughts in terms of economic yeah. power and the importance of that alongside the debate on, on community. Fantastic. It feels like just having been in the room for the initial sessions there, I, I, for, for a start, it's the most packed room I've been in Huge, for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a very yeah. popular conference, yeah. and there just feels like there's a real groundswell of people yeah. feeling like it can't go on like this, and things need to change, yeah. and there needs to be much more empowerment of local communities. Really, yeah, 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 yeah. no, no, definitely. Um, and I think, I think we would, we would, we would absolutely agree with that. And I think we would start from the point that community is made up of many different players. You know, there's community citizens who live in a place, but there are local councils, there's hospitals, universities, businesses, and how, but they're all united by a sense of um, uh, wanting to have a, a good future for their local place. Yeah. So how do we build on that energy to really you know, create something um, important? And so can you tell me a bit about your work at the Centre for Local Economic Strategies and how that contributes to this? Yeah, sure. So CLES, uh, we were set up back in the 1980s, and, and our work is all about how do we create economies which generate good lives, uh, which work for people, place and planet. Um, and that's, that's at the heart of it, about um, ensuring that everyone has ownership over the economy, really kind of democratising the economy for, for everyone. Um, and uh, we work across the UK uh, and, and we are particularly proud of the work we've done on building community wealth. Um, and we've done that you know, in lots of different areas now, thinking about how do you really um, you know, take economic power and, and make it work for, for the people who live in an area. Yeah. And how do you do that practically? So, I mean, that's a, yeah. a lot of people would agree with that, yeah. but wouldn't know how to yeah, sure. practically do it. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the time uh, we're working with um, local organisations that have a real sense of belonging to a place, what we might call an anchor institution. So it could be a council, it could be a hospital, uh, it could be a housing association, it, it could be uh, an organisation within a neighbourhood that plays a really important role with, with for that for that community. Um, and, and it's about thinking about what economic levers are at their disposal. You know, how do they employ people? How do they buy and, and how do they buy things in, in the economy? Um, how do they use their land and property? How can yeah. you use that economic power, if you like, to really direct 
um, uh, wealth into a community and get it circulating, get it moving, uh, and making sure that people really see the benefits of the economy on the doorstep. And is this about things like councils having a strategy for attracting inward investment and things like that? Well, that is, that's often, yeah, I mean, that's often the, the, the kind of standard approach to yeah. local economic development. And I think our work is more about saying, what have you got in your area that you can build upon? What are, you know, recognize the strengths and assets of place. Um, uh, and make sure that your economy that you already have is working to uh, as best as best you can. And then, if you are going to bring in inward investment into an area, how do you make sure you get the best deal for, yeah. for your community? How are you making sure you're squeezing that investment so that it's really delivering jobs for 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 people who live in a community? It's really delivering the skills. It's really um, transferring ownership of assets and not simply facilitating extraction of wealth off to uh, you know a dormant bank account somewhere. It makes a lot of sense, and quite quite a big part of that is getting the right public service infrastructure around Absolutely, that. So yeah. that you know, there's there's no point having a lot of new jobs in there if you don't have the supporting infrastructure. No, completely. And we would we would be we would believe that you know excellent public services underpin and strengthen the local economy. Yeah. Um, and I guess that would be one of the, the challenges that we're dealing with at the minute. You know, after years of austerity, you know, billions of pounds taken out of local economies. Yeah. You know, that's that's not just uh, having an impact on services, but it has an impact on the economy, and particularly the areas where perhaps there isn't a lot of other enterprise or economic activity yeah. so uh yeah it's um i think public services excellence in public services is really at the heart of what we do as well and then finally your uh, panel session you're on later is about yeah. how can devolution really empower communities so we haven't yeah. touched on devolution of powers yet so yeah. what, what are you going to be saying well i think it's i mean it's an interesting question because you can answer it in different ways and uh, and, and i think I'm, I'm coming from the point of view of you know what, what do we mean by empowerment here you know and empowerment for us is about economic agency. It's yeah. about people having a say and a, and a sense of choice over their their job, their health, their community, their housing, um, and, and that includes you know the the, the ability to make political choices uh, yeah. about a place. Um, and if it is about that sense of agency, that ability to, 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 to be and to do, then I don't think the current devolution uh, uh, approach that we've got is going to cut it. Yeah. Um, because we're not, it's, not, it's more of a deal-making process. It's not a constitutional transfer of power. You know, that we have seen that in Wales, Northern Ireland, and Scotland, but we've not seen that at all really in England. We've got these sort of you know, patchy network of, of devolved mayors and all got different deals, all got different... Uh, sort of arrangements and I think there's a real lack of clarity for people on the street as to what this actually means for their lives. Fantastic. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, good to meet you. So I'm here with Seb Payne, who's the director of the Onward Think Tank. What have you taken away from today so far? Um, I think that there's a lot of consensus on this agenda about how you try and resolve the power imbalance in this country that if you look at it from both sides of the spectrum people who have different ideas about how you do it everyone's identified the same problem everyone's identified on a similar terrain there's obviously some differences on where you get to the on the solutions on that um, but there is clearly an ambition and i think what we've still got to work on is people who believe in this idea of empowering communities is about the narrative and basis to do that because i think at the moment we all believe it in this little circle here and as yeah. we've heard from the sessions, but have we actually, are we winning the argument in the country? And that's where I think we've got to focus our efforts on. So you've been reporting on, on politics and public service reform for a while. Does this feel like a moment? I think the fact that if you were to look at the two um, primary 
characters in both parties on this, Lisa Nandy and Michael Gove, they agree on an awful lot. I think they disagree on the, how you actually get there, but it does show that it is a moment, that there is some kind of unity between yeah. us. And I think that's a great and that's a really hopeful thing. So I think it could be a moment, but again, I think it's got to make sure when we get in towards the election that you know some, some of the bigger macro issues often become the main thing. And I want to make sure this doesn't get lost. And as a last question, how does this fit with the really exciting work you're doing it onward? Well, I think onward we've been arguing that both sides should go further and faster on devolution and that obviously there's been a lot of progress made with the directly elected mayors, there's been progress made on the trailblazer deals, but we've still not got where we need to be on trying to make sure that, you know, they've devolution down to more local levels that there are more mayoral deals and so I think what you hear today is the need to do that and to make sure that when you've got those wider macro concerns this stuff doesn't get lost. Brilliant Seb, thanks for your time. Thank you. So I'm here with Sophia Parker from the Joseph Roundtree Foundation. It's a it's an amazing day so far isn't it? So many people here. Really amazing yeah beautiful location as well. It is yes it was great to hear from Ian Thomas at the start as well the the chief exec and town clerk of the city I'm a Mm. big fan of his Mm. so you're chairing a session later on on unlocking the imagination of places can you say a little bit about what that is and what you're hoping to achieve from that? Yeah, so really looking forward to the session. We've got a brilliant panel, all from Sheffield, including Kate Josephs, the Chief Exec of uh, the City Council. Yeah, who I'm hoping to grab in a second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, we're really we're going to have 45 minutes talking about what does it take to unlock the imagination of citizens in a place to dream of better, more beautiful futures where people and planet can flourish. And does that involve, I mean, I presume that involves bringing together public services, third sector, private sector in an area, yeah. attracting inward investment, all of those different ingredients. That's right. And, and actually what we're going to be talking about particularly today is um, uh, an experience that um, a number of people in Sheffield have had working with new constellations to go on what is known as a journey yeah. uh, to new shores, thinking about um, what it might mean. Uh, to build a Sheffield that is ready for the climate crisis, where people uh, can all live um, their best lives, basically. Um, and um, we're going to be talking about that process and how, uh, what it takes, I guess, to expand our sense of what's possible, to, to get beyond a slightly limited view of what progress might look like. Yeah. And to do that at a time when, let's face it, we're facing something of a polycrisis, rising inequality. Like a permapolycrisis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so how do you... Look that in the face, act from it, but not descend into fatalism. Hold on to hope that another world is possible. So that's what we're going to be talking about. And how much are you finding in Sheffield that people, you know, because people can say things, they can have good intentions. How much of do you, how much do you think you can really get get moving and uh, you know generate real action on? Well, you should probably talk to Kate about that. Well, I will, who's embedded yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think what's really interesting is, as someone who, you know, JRF supported some of this work. Um, and I think what's really noticeable is that the people who have uh, been involved in the New Constellations work have um, kind of, I guess, had an opportunity to find new perspectives, but more importantly, to make new connections, quite deep relationships that cut across kind of hierarchical power, people in formal positions of power, and people who aren't necessarily in those positions and still have a view. And so there's a sense of um, Sheffield being together in this work. Um, And I think that is, uh, you know, a shock of electricity that's needed. It's not the whole answer. But um, I think where we are at JRF is that unless we create these opportunities for more expansive thinking and doing that together, yeah. it's going to be very difficult not just to recreate what we've already got, what we've, what the, the responses we've already had to problems that actually 
somewhat dwarf <laughs> what we've been able to do in the past. Thank you very much, Sophia. We had a little bit of background noise there. I'm not sure if people will pick that up, but I'm looking forward to your session and good luck with it. Thank you very much. So I'm here with Kate Josephs, the Chief Executive of Sheffield City Council. Kate, it's great to see you. What's your impression of this day? There's um, so much buzz. Yeah, it's fantastic. So much energy, a real sense of, I mean, Donna Hall started the day with this kind of call to arms for everybody here to yeah. kind of channel the idea of being a rebel alliance. And it feels like that. It feels really, you know, it really does. thoughtful conversations and, uh, and just really interesting to hear great examples of practical action being taken all over the country in the spirit of, of working with our communities and, uh, and strengthening that sense of community power. And so with, uh, with that idea of practical action, you're involved in a session about unlocking the imagination of place later. And I, know, and I know you're going to be talking about Sheffield. So what sort of things are you doing? So um, the session we're doing later is really designed to be a kind of open, quite vulnerable sharing of some of the stuff we've tried that hasn't yeah. worked and that hasn't worked. Cause I it's think, so important that to Exactly. Because like I think one of the things, what Sheffield has, I mean, look, I'm totally biased. It's an incredible city. We have really, really active citizens and we have huge amounts of human assets and all over the city people doing amazing things and the story of Sheffield is one I would say of that not being the kind of that not being connected people not being yeah. together and us not really having a clear sense of the story we want to tell about ourselves for the future we, our story in Sheffield has been typically a bit backward looking a bit insular and so what we're going to talk about today in the session we're doing with the Joseph Rowntree Foundation is the work we've started and it really is about starting it to talk to much more diverse groups of people in the city. And this isn't the council leading it, it's the council alongside partners, community council groups. Council just community. in the room, basically, yeah. but in the room in, in a humble and um, curious kind of mentality rather than in a we're in charge and you need to do what we say sort of mentality. And the idea is to say, what is the story we want to tell about the future? Yeah. What does that mean in terms of the goals and priorities that we set ourselves as a city for the next 10, 20 years? particularly think how we navigate through the level of uncertainty change that we are all facing in you know all of our big cities places country the globe to be completely honest yeah. um and then i think it's about um talking about what we have found hard about that and what yeah. we have found to what sort of surprised us and i think one of the things that's been really surprising but kind of wonderful is that it's the work we've done has started to connect people together who would not have been connected previously yeah. um and you know, it's easy to see that as talking, not action. But to my mind, that foundation of strong, trusting relationships across, across a place, relationships that can withstand, um, you know, withstand pressure and withstand challenge, withstand yeah. the storm, I guess, yeah. um, is yeah. really, really important. So that's, that's what we're talking about. And I hope it'll be interesting to other people. And I'm also just excited for the journey that we're on as a city. I think it will be. And I love what you said at the start about being vulnerable and not being... Uh, afraid to share what things haven't worked, what things have worked, yeah. what sort of journey it's been, because the whole concept of hero leadership, where you know the answers to everything, yeah. and I mean that's just nonsense. It doesn't get anything done. Yeah, it's not my, it's not been my kind of way of working. It's not the way of working in the team I'm in. And I think you know we've got to be really honest as well. In Sheffield, we have had some, you know, we've had as a city and as a council, we've had some hard lessons over the years. Uh, we've just this last year received a, an independent report into an inquiry into the what went on during the street trees saga which if you follow Sheffield and local government you'll know about what's interesting about that you know everything that went on during that period in the sort of 2010s is um is how much culture in the organization how much 
the culture of um, the way people held their power, the way people listened to communities, the way communities felt or didn't feel heard it's really important for us to yeah. own that we've got, you know, we've definitely got bridges to build in terms of building trust in the city. And so for me, the only way to do that is by being a human being. Yeah. Kit, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. So I'm here with Donna Hall. As I said at the start of the podcast, I was going to have a conversation with Donna and it's great to see you, Donna. And I'm really looking forward just to having a brief chat with you. First of all, what did you think of the day? It was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, I think uh, it was one of the be- well, it was the best stronger things. We've been doing stronger things for a few years now, uh, building on the community paradigm work and reaching out to the uh, a really wide network of councils, community organisations, NHS organisations. The energy in the room, I don't know what you thought, Andrew, but the energy in the room at the Guildhall, um, the positivity, I think it just really showed for me the growing importance of community power and the kind of the increasing resonance of it in the minds of public servants voluntary and community groups and nhs organizations it's brilliant it's a social movement now initially it was a document with a few kind of early adopters but now it has become a a real kind of um, unstoppable force i would say i think you're absolutely right and just to give you a flavor of just my experience there i when i was in the main hall one time i was sat beside a central government civil servant who was there and wasn't alone. Um, I was also sat beside uh, some people from the NHS. So this, as you say, it's not it's not a niche thing, this anymore. It's a real it's a real movement. And you used the term in your opening um, in your opening session, Rebel Alliance. And you'll, you'll have heard from the interviews that that kept coming up. That seemed to have really struck a chord with people. Yeah, I think it does when you're in the thick of it and you're trying to make change happen. It can be really tough. I think some of the toughest experiences I've had in my career is trying to drive that change in mindset, that shifting culture away from a transactional top down key performance indicator, doing things to people culture into a much more enabling bottom up listening to communities, listening to staff and putting yourself in the shoes of the person, of the citizen and their family. And what kind of support would you want as a as a member of society and try to rethink our role rather than having individual silo services, very often medicalised services that don't reflect the reality of people's lives. Let's try to build it up from the person outwards and start with that human to human connection. So, yeah, the Rebel Alliance is a a network of people initially, I think, within your own organisation and then within the wider community of, of community and voluntary groups, citizens, residents, sometimes people I would call like the awkward squad the complainers the people who don't like what you're doing but when they start to see the changes you're trying to make embracing that energy even if it's initially negativity and turning it into positive i think is the rebel alliance and it starts to grow so they might not be the the most senior people in an organization because sometimes that's where the resistance is not always but sometimes it can be so trying to get the kind of the people who really want to make change happen who can do it in sometimes a bit of a subversive way, Andrew, you know, kind of yeah. 
trying to do a bit of a pincer movement on leadership when they're resistant to change. I've done that yeah. myself, you know, and, uh, you, you know, you get, you get energy and you get strength and you get ideas and you get hope from people who are in the Rebel Alliance. So, yeah, yeah we've been, bit, we've been busy on, um, social media discussing what kind of uniform we're going to wear. <laughs> well, I saw, I saw that, Donna, and I was nearly going to write something, but then I thought better off it, but, and to my memory in Star Wars, it was the Empire that had the uniforms. The Rebel Alliance couldn't afford them, probably. So, I, yeah. but no, you're, you're absolutely right. This idea of like-minded people, and you made this appeal to people, actually, like-minded people getting together to try and make change. And it's almost about not not waiting until you're in the position of authority to change things, because probably by the time you get there, you'll suffer from the same pressure that leaders do to conform and to do things the way they've always been done and to be quite protective of your own organization rather than reaching out. So it does need to start as people are building their careers, doesn't it? It certainly does. And I think the system needs to change so that we end up recruiting people and not rewarding people for compliance with the system behaviours and hitting the KPIs and missing the point. You know, that we start to attract and recruit and appoint people who are radical innovators, you're radical reformers, uh, you know, people who yeah. have who take risks, measured risks. Um, that, uh, you know, that really try to challenge status quo because the thing that the one thing we're guaranteed to do if we carry on with this same model of traditional public services is fail because yeah. it's a broken system. So we do need to do that radical transformation with citizens at the heart of it. And if we don't work properly with citizens, we, we will all collectively fail. So, yeah, definitely. I think that's right. And just from my perspective, it'd be great to hear what you thought your highlights of the day were. But I thought a few people I would mention, Emmy Kerr from Civic Square in Birmingham. Just it's the, first time yeah. I, it's the first time I've seen Emmy in real life and brilliant marshalling of her thoughts and arguments that she wants to make in such a compelling way. She is absolutely amazing. She's one of the best uh civic leaders I've ever come across. She's not scared to challenge. She challenges me. Uh, she's challenged me on a couple of occasions. She said I should stop going on about leadership and get back into leadership. So I thought, okay, Amy, <laughs> thanks very much. I love her. She's great. She's such a refreshing breath of fresh air. And there are so many other people like Amy. And I think it's about, um, you know, working with people like Amy, finding the people like Amy and yeah. really, you know, believing in them and changing that relationship with the sector, which is one of parent and child very often with the community and voluntary sector where, you know, we browbeat them that the local hospital can spend, you know, overspend by 30 million. It just gets given the money at the end of yeah. the year. Um, yeah. Where a community and voluntary organisation who are surviving on 10 grand a year, if they overspend by 50 quid, we shut them down. You know, it's that yeah. kind of shift in mindset where it's one of trust, um, adult to adult rather than parent to child. Uh, yeah, Emmy yeah. is outstanding. All of your interviewees were, were brilliant, Andrew. It's yeah. a great podcast. And I just said that there were a couple of people on the penultimate panel just before we heard from Lisa Nandy, who, who was fantastic as well. So there was Fatima Khan Shah from the West Yorkshire um, Health and Care Partnership. And we both know Rob Webster there, but I thought she was really impressive as well. And the work yeah. that they're doing in West Yorkshire is really interesting. It really is. And they're really breaking the mould with their integrated care partnership across West Yorkshire and Harrogate. 
Fatima is one of the best uh, leaders I've again worked with. She is absolutely outstanding and they're really breaking the mould in West Yorkshire and Harrogate around the role of an integrated care system. They're amazing on equality uh, and some of the work they're doing on trauma-informed practice and other kind of person-centred system redesign is really brilliant. The good thing as well is they've changed, they've moved money from acute hospitals and the NHS into social care, which is absolutely brilliant and so badly needed everywhere. I really wish other ICSs was, were going to do, were doing that as well. Yeah. And then finally, your good friend Kitty Kelly was on the same, the same panel as Fatima and you were kind enough to introduce me to Kitty and she's recorded a podcast with me as well. But, um, I, I sent her a message after her, her session to say that she was amazing and she couldn't hear on the video the response in the room to her contributions. Um, she was fabulous and just again feels so deeply about the need to empower communities put decisions in the hands of communities and I'm sure you were listening to that as well just smiling and thinking this is fantastic I was yeah she is a real uh, hero of mine Katie and we've worked together over the last 10 years really so Wigan and um, East Ayrshire where she was deputy chief exec mm. is deputy chief exec I think for a little bit longer yeah. we did we did a kind of twinning arrangement uh, Scotland and English twinning arrangement where we we learned from each other yeah. um, and they just as you, you've done a podcast previously with Katie and she talks yeah. all about that and you know I've seen her really kind of embed a different way of working with communities and a really challenged part of Scotland Kilmarnock you know some really Lots of areas of really high deprivation that she has worked with this different model of council services for many, many years. And it's yeah. kind of ingrained in her heart. She's a yeah. superstar. So, Donna, last question. This is the end of your five years as the chair of New Local. It hasn't been an easy time for local government or local communities. I guess there's been some useful movements in terms of some devolution and things. But what's your kind of reflection of what the five years have been and let's not forget that there was a pandemic in the middle of it um, yeah it's um it's been a really interesting time for new local and um so in the last five years i think the most significant thing was the um, jess and adam wrote a brilliant document which i think was a fantastic analysis of the situation of public services we're in five years ago which was the community paradigm which talked about shifting away from a purely state-led model and uh, a market model to with all the Lansley reforms and this purchase of provider split in the NHS. Let's think about a community paradigm. And I think one of the things I, I, I'm told I did by um, Jess and others as chair is really challenge the purpose of New Local. What, what are we here to do? What is our core purpose? And I think we were trying to be many things to many people, just like a networked think tank representing 70 councils views. But our core yeah. purpose became in those first 12 months a community power and really pushing yeah. that whole ethos. And I think since then, we've kind of given other places that we're thinking of going down that route the confidence to do it yeah. through things like innovation exchanges and things like that. We changed our name from um, the new local government network to new local because it's much more than local government. It's the NHS, it's housing, it's the police, yeah. it's the DWP, it's everything. It's uh, it's. I think for me, place is how all of government policy comes together around yeah. The neighbourhood and the person. So, yeah, we've the network's grown, the confidence has grown, and that kind of 
ability to influence national people has changed as well. We've become much more influential, I think. But yeah, really, we're out starting looking for a new chair now. So if anybody's interested listening to this, Andrew, um, yeah, uh, it would be great to get some fresh thinking. I think when you've done something for five years, it's you know it's quite a while, isn't it? And I think sometimes you, an organisation benefits from new ideas. I think you'll be extremely hard to replace, Donna. But listen, I really appreciated you taking some time to have a conversation with me. And thank you. Oh, thanks a lot, Andrew. Take care. So that's everything for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really enjoyed it. And I'm so grateful to all of the interviewees for giving up their time to have a quick conversation with me. And especially Donna for sharing her reflections at the end. Don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And I think I'm supposed to say this, but if you want to leave a good review, you can do that too. But I don't really like saying that, but it's too late. I've said enough. <laughs>